Okay, now it is time for the leader to qualify. Ooh, says I have to stand up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I'll start at the beginning and end at the end. Uh, I'll start with my childhood. Um, I was, oh, my name. I guess I should tell you my name. My name is Julie or Julie B. I'm a compulsive overeater. I have been an anorectic and I have also um, been an exercise bulimic. I've pretty much done it all. <laughs> anyway, I started, my, my childhood began in 1943. I was born the third child and um, in a uh, family. Um, oh, let's see, uh, my mother and father were together, stayed together all their married life. And um, I have an older brother and an older sister. Um, neither of whom had any kind of weight issues. Uh, because I was the baby of the family, I was uh, supposed to entertain. I was the entertainer. Dance for Mommy Julie. And I did. I danced as hard as I could and as fast as I could. And um, I kept getting chubbier and chubbier and chubbier. Uh, I had a grandmother who was anorectic. I had a grandmother who was obese. So uh, I looked at them both. I didn't want to be like either. But uh, I wanted to be just like my mom. And my mom, if, you were, if she were still living, this would be her outfit. This is what she would have picked to wear today. And it would be her size. And my shoes, everything. I am my mother. <laughs> and... <laughs> Sometimes when they put the, uh, when I'm getting my hair done and they put the towel around and I look in the mirror and, oh, oh God, there she is. Um, okay, so when I got, as I was getting chubbier and chubbier through elementary school, um, I guess my first realization that I was really the chubbiest is uh, in my school, the nurse's station was down uh, the hall and um, we were to stand in line in sixth grade and be weighed, and they would call out the number. And I remember standing in that line thinking, oh, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be the fattest one. There was one other girl, Janet Carr. She and I were both 102, and uh, all the others were, you know, like 85 pounds. So that was the beginning. And then um, I uh, continued to expand until finally, I, I remember in our schools, we couldn't wear pants. We had to wear dresses, and the little arms were very, very tight, and it was hard to raise your hand, you know, because uh, cause my arms were so big. Um, let me think, what else was there about elementary school? I guess it wasn't until high school that my anorectic grandmother took me to a doctor and uh, got me a lot of colored pills. And uh, I took a lot of colored pills, and um, I tried. And they, and they said, don't give Julie so much. Don't let her have so much. Uh, and I kept continuing to eat. And I remember one time coming home from school, and uh, my sister had eaten all the ice cream. And um, I said, you ate my ice cream. You took it from me. And she said, oh, you're such a pig. I'll go up to the store, and I'll get you. And she brought home. We used to have ice cream in little blocks in those days and she put the block of ice cream down and I ate the entire thing right straight down and um, 
I began to think something's not right here. And uh, so <laughs> then we got to high school and um, boyfriends. I had to have a boyfriend. Everybody had a boyfriend. So uh, I always had a boyfriend. Um, I was more careful with my eating, apparently, because I had lots of boyfriends. I always had a boyfriend. Then I got to college. My parents sent me to a girls' school. That's what you did in those days at that time. And um, I went to a girls' school, and my mother was most disappointed because when you come home from um, girls' school, she expected that I would be a lady. We were all supposed to be ladies. And uh, I came home cursing like a sailor. <laughs> I, I remember we had wraparound denim skirts. It was the beginning of the hippie area. I had rawhide in my hair. I didn't wear any makeup. And it was uh, very upsetting. And it was in college that I, I learned about um, the real pills. Not just those colored ones, but the ones that were the speed. Um, Dexedrine. I believe is what they were called. And we all had bottles of them. And I was in a college where we weren't, we didn't learn about bulimia. We didn't know to sit around and throw up. We didn't catch on to that. And really, uh, the year I graduated was the first year a girl was thrown out for smoking marijuana. So it was all new to me. Uh, you know, so that was my thing with college. I met my husband while I was in college. It was a blind date for the Army-Navy game. And we met on the 20-yard line. And uh, he was, uh, he was uh, uh, wearing a blue suit and a white hat. And I thought he was so handsome. He was very slender. And I thought, oh, that's good. And uh, so that was the way we met. And um, we married. And um, he immediately went to Vietnam and left me pregnant with my first son. And um, I remember the day that we decided to have that baby. We were drinking in my kava bowl at uh, Trader Vicks, I think. Anyway, there were two straws in it. And he said, uh, I would like to sire a child. And I thought, I didn't even know what that meant, <laughs> sire a child. But I soon learned. And I... I uh, I had the uh, I, I had the child while uh, he was in Vietnam, and um, that was a, a very strenuous, hard time in my uh, early marriage. Um, when he came home from the service, uh, I remember shopping in commissaries, and we both have this disease. Um, his uh, went more to alcoholism; mine went more to the food, but. Uh, I can remember shopping in the commissary and getting all the goodies from the shelves because it was the first time my mother wasn't shopping for me. My, I wasn't going to the school, a cafeteria to eat. Suddenly, I got to pick. And so I picked all the wrong things, of course, and enjoyed it so much and got heavier and heavier. And <clears throat> oh, In our lives, my husband became a Marine uh, in our lives. And so I was a Marine Corps wife. And then um, I became an executive wife. Uh, he worked with computers. So we moved. We moved 15 times. And each time I went, that was kind of neat because I'd probably move in as the fat girl. And by the time I left, I was the thin girl because I was always on a diet. I, took, I did every diet known to man. And I was hypnotized. I was, um, oh, I put things in blenders and drank them. Um, 
I remember going to Jenny Craig at the very end when I lost the largest amount of weight and um, the little girl that was my counselor said to me, have you ever heard of Overeaters Anonymous? And I said, no. And she said, I think you're a candidate. I think that that would be something that would help you. Um, I wrote it down, but I never, of course, did anything about it. I continued on. And um, let's see, after 15 times of moving, this is all my earlier years, what it was like, I guess. Um, uh, I ended up in Texas. And now this is where I, I came to, into OA. Um, by the time I got to Texas, I was a full exercise bulimic. I ran around the lakes. I went to an exercise class. Then I ran around the lakes again. Then I went to another exercise class. And then I used to run around the ball field with my girlfriend, who was also, she was well-trained at exercise bulimia. And uh, she showed me just what to do. And um, I remember one time in that house in uh, Texas, uh, a lady was wallpapering my kitchen. And um, I was sitting there next to her with a little television. And uh, they told about a gal that had just died of um, anorexia because she had, uh, was only eating, she was a, a news gal in some place in the middle of the United States. And um, people had watched her get thinner, 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 and then finally die on the television. And they said that at the end, she was only eating popcorn and Diet Coke. And um, I realized, oh my God, that's all I've been eating for this last week. What is wrong? I guess I have this. So anyway... Then, of course, I got fat again. So, <laughs> so uh, now I'll get to the point where uh, I suddenly realized that I really needed to come to OA. I moved to Texas. Everyone in Texas, I had been living previous to Texas in California, in Northern California. And um, I wore no makeup. Uh, um, I kept my hair in a little curly curls. And uh, we drove a Volkswagen bus. And... Uh, I guess I was a hippie. Anyway, and that was my hippie period. Anyway, I was uh, probably getting closer and closer to 200 pounds. Um, I never weighed uh, except for the doctor's office at that point because it was too hard to read it. Then there was a period of my life where I weighed every day and I'd you know, go to the bathroom and weigh, eat, weigh, and so all that crazy stuff. I did it all. Anyway, um, when I got to Texas, everybody was perfect. Wow. Uh, it was in Dallas, Texas. We were living in an executive neighborhood. And um, most of the people in my neighborhood weren't from Texas. They were all, um, tra- uh, had, had come there for their, for their jobs. And um, uh, let's see. Okay, so I was there and I had just finished the last major diet. I was now gaining back all the weight and um, I was watching television. I don't know if it was Oprah or some show and they had a little girl on and she had um, her hair braided up on top of her head the way my mother braided my hair and um, she was 11 years old and she had been molested by her uh, grandfather who had molested her grand I guess he molested her mother 
and her sister. Or she, he molested the whole family. But the but this little girl was on, and um, she started to cry. And I uh, I saw it was me, and I didn't, I didn't remember that. But now it's coming back to me, and I realized that during my um, about the same time she was molested, I was molested by my grandfather. And um, he had a friend who had a pony in a barn down the street. And uh, if I took a nap with him, then we could go for pony rides. And um, I knew it at the time. I I knew it wasn't right, but I got the pony rides. And uh, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my father. I, I guess in my mind I knew that my father would have probably killed him or, or done... I, I, I don't know what he would have done, but it would have been a big disruption in the family. So now here I am. I'm near 50 years old, and I decide to call one of the lines, you know, where it is to ask if uh, anybody could help me with uh, incest survival. And um, I called this number, and they said, Are you overweight? And I said, well, yes. I thought, God, can they see through the phone? <laughs> and she said, well, I have a, a group called ISOA, Incest Survivors of Overeaters Anonymous. So I went to a meet. I called. I called. And I got a girl on the phone. Her name was Rocky. Rocky was wonderful. Rocky and I talked two hours. And then I went to my first... Uh, ISOA meeting and um, I found other people that were in the same situation many worse than mine much worse than mine and um, I was able but I was able to go through it and, and find my way to OA and I remember the first time I got into a regular OA meeting uh, listening to everybody and the tears ending up on my sneakers because I thought, oh my gosh, these people, they've been, they've, they're living the life I've lived. I've been so frantic all these years. And um, I found my place there at OA in Dallas, Texas. Um, it took me six months to get a sponsor. Uh, it took me um, a year to start the steps. I remember when... Um, I was doing the third step, sitting in the car wash and trying to learn the third step to prayer. I mean, we're going to the car wash, and I thought, okay, by the time I come out of this car wash, I'll have it, I'll have it down. <laughs> and uh, I love that prayer. It, it is my life. And um, while I was in Texas, um, I found that I had colon cancer, and um, a lot of that was from the crazy dieting. Definitely, I blame it on <laughs> Diet Shasta Cola, which I would drink. I would drink 24 cans a day in my 20s for long periods of time. Um, also, I had been a smoker, being an obsessive person. Of course, I was a smoker. And I smoked for 10 years before babies. And unfortunately, they told us that not to smoke... Uh, I did smoke through the first pregnancy, and uh, my baby was born um, four pounds. So uh, I'm sure that was uh, part of the problem. Anyway, um, 
I got my first sponsor. Oh, God. Thank you. Uh, my first sponsor um, looked just like I wanted to look. And she, she got the program. She knew it. She understood it. She, she worked the steps. She did everything wonderfully. And uh, she really helped me. And she took me to OA retreats. I remember my first OA retreat. Uh, a man named Michael um, had a, had a uh, um, marble. He said, this is your abstinence. And he threw it across the room. And he said, don't do that. Don't throw your abstinence. <laughs> so he gave us all a marble. I still have my, I wish I had it here to show you. I still have my marble. It's sitting in Las Vegas where, where I live. I live in Las Vegas. Um, okay, so uh, that was what my life was like. That was coming into OA. And now I can tell you what life is like now. Um, I have two grandchildren. My uh, youngest one is seven and brilliant, brilliant, and the cutest little guy. And then the uh, 11-year-old has autism, and um, that has been um, a family project. Uh, it caused my son's divorce, and uh, but we all uh, look after. And his name is Michael. Um, okay, so okay, we retired to Las Vegas. And uh, that's an interesting place to live because it's like uh, addiction personified. We got it all. You can shop too much. You can gamble too much. You can have too much sex. You can eat too much. You can drink too much. It's all there. And it's so blatant that it's made it easier for me, I have to say. When I walk into a casino and watch all the, um, and they usually have gray hair like mine, uh, staring into those machines, feeding the money. I say, ooh, see the disease? You can see the disease. There it is. It's the same one I have when I'm staring into a bag of M&M's. While I was over in, uh, I had many wonderful years in living in Sun City in Las Vegas. I have many wonderful friends. Um, I have a great program over there. I have a wonderful sponsor. Uh, I just went through a real pink cloud period. Uh, my weight stayed the same. Everything was good. All was just the way I wanted it to be. And um, uh, I, I really got to know my higher power and enjoyed my higher power and uh, just lived a, a marvelous life. Then eight years ago, my son, my oldest son, the one who I smoked through the pregnancy, uh, developed uh, leukemia. And uh, so I had to come over here to help out with him. Well, he was divorced and he was alone. And so um, I ended up living in um, at St. Joseph's uh, up in Burbank. Uh, with him, he was 42, uh, in the hospital. I lived with him for 10 months, and then we moved down to Cedar Sinai when he got his bone marrow transplant from his brother. Um, then Bo managed to pull himself back together and got married and then divorced. And uh, now I'm back here being a caretaker again, taking care of him. Uh, he's developed uh, graft-versus-host, which is a disease, which is the rejection of uh, the bone marrow doesn't like his body. I always I say to my youngest son, you know, you always were annoying. 
<laughs> He's got his bone marrow in that boy. But anyway, um, we're doing pretty well. We've been seven years, and um, this is um, this is the end for Bo. And um, I'm trying to make it as pleasant as possible. Um, it's been an honor to take care of such a fine man. He is a good man. Um, I learned a lot more about him. He tells me stories that I wouldn't have known. And uh, so this is my life now. I live over here in Los Angeles, in his home with him. Um, and um, my husband stays in um, a duplex that my other son has, and he lives in one side. And my so we're all family taking care of our boy. And um, that's my day-to-day life. Um, my food plan is um, uh, 301. Three, I eat three meals a day. Nothing. I guess that's my abstinence. Three meals a day. Nothing in between. Nothing out of a bag or a box. And nothing fried. I have a cholesterol problem. And then um, my food plan. Uh, I can talk about that later. But anyway. Uh, I do not use a scale, and uh, I am not perfect, not hardly, and that's all I'm going to say. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Oh, it says it being recorded. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. If being recorded, please restate the question after it's asked. Okay, I can do that. And we'll stop at uh, 9.35. Okay. Um, what is your Um, uh, and that's something I didn't uh, talk about either is that I'm, I was not a religious person I found organized religion um, hypocritical and uh, I guess that was because of my grandfather he was a, a pre- well he wasn't yeah he was a preacher <laughs> okay but anyway uh, he uh, but, but uh, um, my higher power is with me all the time um, I found that one of the main things when I read in the beginning of Overeaters Anonymous was that we had to be honest. And I was a, a, a real liar and or an embellisher. I, I, I always think of that fellow that's uh, just got lost his job because uh, he embellished on the news. And uh, I thought, oh, God, help me if I'd had to read the news. Yeah, <laughs> I would have uh, embellished. Um, anyway... True honesty brought me to my higher power because, and particularly during the time I had uh, cancer, um, my girlfriend brought me the uh, little red book, Came to Believe, and I learned that this higher power that I I give my will and my life over to uh, day in, day out, is the same one that will go with me on the other side. So it the thought of death was a little bit easier for me because of that because uh, at the time I, I didn't know what was about to happen and, I'm, and I feel that way with my son now um, 
I try to I try to follow it as best I can. I know that um, when I start taking the reins, you know, when I start uh, to, to do things the way Julie thinks they should be done, uh, then I'm in trouble. And fortunately, I have a family that is real quick to point it out. <laughs> so, did I answer it? I hope. <laughs> Any other questions? Uh huh. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, what um, do you have that like kind of that? What kind of voices do you have that speak to you, and how do you handle like the positive and the negative? Oh. All of those little sort of people. Oh boy, and they're there, twenty-four-seven. <laughs> 24 said this morning, you know, oh, listening and um, uh, constantly. And uh, um, it's very difficult now uh, because I'm living in my son's house and I have my grandchildren there all the time. And everybody wants, I'm the food preparer and the laundry lady. And... um, so there's stuff around that I normally isn't around because of, but that was one of the thing, first things I did in my own home was purge the house. There, you know, there isn't a bag or a box. There isn't, uh, you know. So, uh, but uh, I'm constantly um, I hear things in my own voice that say, uh, "You're okay. Look at you. You can have some. You can have some of that." And uh, so. Uh, you know, it's always a challenge. And, uh, but I know, I always go back to that first step. I have this disease. And um, my kids call me 70 wonderful, but I am, uh, I, I'll always have this disease. You know, I had it from the beginning. Um, my mother always claimed that I was the biggest baby. And, um, uh, it's not going to go away. So I, I, I rely on my higher power and to take care of me with those voices. Thank you. Uh huh. Thank you very much, Julie. How do you um, take care of yourself with everything that's going? What do you do for self-care in this situation you're living in and on a daily basis? How do you work that in, in the course of your program? Yeah, I had. Uh, um, and it's been tricky over here. When I lived in Las Vegas uh, full time, I would get up every single morning and walk. Uh, I meet my girlfriend and we walk together. And um, I would go to the gym with my husband. We, uh, we belonged to us, health spa. And we would go. Um, of course, I live in Sun City, which has all those health equipment and swimming pools. We have four swimming pools. Too. And I play golf. And I do a lot of things like that. To, and I have tons of girlfriends. I have a group that I play Mahjana with, a group I play Bunko with. And I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. <laughs> so uh, that's my day, you know, my day to day. And um, I have my three meals a day. And... Um, my morning meal is usually the same because at the time I had colon cancer, I read an article that said if you eat a half a cup of all brand cereal every single day of your life, it won't come back. Well, it hasn't come back, but um, I th- I'm sure the L brand people wrote that article. <laughs> <laughs> I add fruit and stuff to it and make it a little more interesting. But uh, So my breakfast and lunches are pretty uh, 
pretty pretty much the same. My dinners are uh, uh, more more uh, inventive. <laughs> I eat pretty much everything. Uh huh. So thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, a couple of, I mean, the first one is like your grandfather and everything. Yeah. So you got sort of angry when you remembered all that stuff. Yeah. That was a hard one. Yeah, I had to. Uh, I had to understand that he was as sick as I am, sicker, maybe no, as sick. And um, I had to uh, understand that. Uh, you know, that he. I forgave him. I forgave him. Yeah. Uh huh. Because you seem to be really in acceptance with your life as it is right now. Yeah. And, you know, you know it intellectually to accept things, but I get angry when things happen that I don't approve of. And, you know, Dr. Polly says that acceptance doesn't necessarily mean you don't have to approve of it. So how do you get, I mean, into your heart? Yeah, that's a, that, yeah, that is, a, and, and I, I have to say, I, ha, uh, I have accepted this as, uh, you know, as each... I think it comes with age too, you know, because you see so much of life. And um, I remember my mother always said, "Don't compare yourself to anybody else. You're the one doing this." And um, you know, just because you might have six healthy grandchildren, I have two, and one isn't so healthy. Uh, I don't know. Acceptance came a lot with Michael. And dealing with him, and then Bo with his, and you know, and when you accept it and you walk through it, I guess it was getting through cancer, getting through that portion of time with my grandfather, and my life is good. I have a good life, and um, and coming into OA, it's, it's been wonderful. It's really changed everything um, I'm probably the only person that lives in uh, Las Vegas and I don't drink and I don't gamble and I don't overeat <laughs> what the hell <laughs> but anyway uh, yeah it's sort of what I've been living by is just acceptance it's not so bad <laughs> uh, I'd like to ask you uh, how has your relationship since you joined how the 12-step change prior to joining the program and after, in other words, well, how's your relationship with God change? Oh, oh, I, I really didn't have a higher power when I came in. Um, I, I accepted my higher power. I learned to love this higher power. Um, I always feel like my higher power is this force that's standing, looking over my shoulder, watching how I'm carrying on my day. And I can turn and... Uh, ask for his love and care when it gets rough and um, I know a lot of times I'll say did I do that right did I get that okay did I (laughs) because you know you things are hard well you know sometimes my boy gets um, so angry and um, he'll say get out of my room leave me alone you know and I have to to be able to accept the fact that he's in a lot of pain and um, I think with him, I, um, uh, I I always try to imagine what it would be like to not be able to walk and lie in a bed and um, and count on other people to take care of my needs. And one day he said, "Do you have to walk so hard? Seems like you 
you're walking so hard. So I changed my shoes. I didn't have to get into a big deal about it. Just, yeah, it must be awful here. Thump, thump, thump. When you can't do anything about it. So, um, but um, definitely before uh, my higher power, when I was crazy, and uh, in the early part of my life, I tried to tell her. They used to call me Lucy from the peanuts, you know, draw the lines, my property. And I would advise, and I knew every calorie, and I knew which diet to be on. And I, and um, now I can accept uh, you just the way you are and love you for being different than me. Uh-huh. Thanks. Um, can you talk about your experience with um, identifying those you had harmed and making amends? Oh yes. Oh, that was uh, that was good. Uh, I um, I did my my uh, fourth step with a, a group of there were six of us, and we had a book. I can't remember what the name of that book was, and we did it together. And um, I remember sitting the six of us in a circle and having to go through and writing my lists and and calling on people and making amends. Um, uh, and but the this what I can't remember the step that's uh, when you should make make the amends right away. You know now at this point in my life uh, that has uh, I don't ever want to have to go up and knock at somebody's door again or call them on the phone and say I'm here because I need to make amends. Uh, now I do it immediately. I'm I know when I'm wrong. I know when I've overstepped. I can feel it right back here. I can feel it. I know, and um, so I try to do that immediately before it gets out of hand. So, okay, then. Yeah. Yes. Uh, thank you, Jerry. Uh, the portion of your grandfather. How did you disconnect that from the food you mentioned? Uh, how did you identify that that had the food? Yeah, it was the that that group that I was in that OA group that. They were all incest survivors. And we talked a lot about that, you know, because they all had had similar experiences. And, um, and I, you know, I realized that all that uh, time growing up, I'm sure that that wasn't the only thing that caused my overeating, uh, because anything will cause me to overeat, you know. It's a holiday. <laughs> so, but um, I began to understand that um, maybe if I was big and fat, my grandfather wouldn't touch me, huh? Yeah, that could be. I don't know. Didn't seem to bother him. Anyway, <laughs> that that that. Uh, I, but I since then because of because of uh, um, over years in uh, IASO or whatever it was called. <laughs> Incest survivors of Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, that was a, a big help to me. But I really felt like I needed to be in regular OA after that. Um, that I could not concentrate on that part of my life, but concentrate on day-to-day living. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank you for your share. How did you come to develop your action? Your oh, yeah, okay, yeah, because when I... Yeah, when I first came into uh, OA, um, I think I was drinking things, um, 
like uh, Slim Fast or one of those or whatever. And um, I had a sponsor who said to me, let's try to eat three meals a day. And that took forever. It was really hard for me to eat three meals a day. I, I ate all day. And uh, so that was the, sort of the beginning. And, and she used to say to me, don't, don't worry about it, Julie, because in four hours you can eat again. You're not going to starve to death, you know. So uh, that became, and then, oh, I have a big problem with frozen yogurt. Because I was an ice cream person, and so then I got into frozen yogurt, just like Diet Coke. Um, and so um, I made out a, a, a food plan with my sponsor that I would eat frozen yogurt every day for lunch. And I've been doing that for 20 years. <laughs> and, uh, but no more. You know, just eat the, eat the frozen yogurt, and that's lunch, and I'm out of there. And I have to go to the place. So if you see me at Yogurtland, there I am, it's lunchtime. <laughs> and breakfast, I, of course, I have my, uh, my all bran. And then dinner, I eat uh, all the food groups. My, my, my sponsor said, you know, God made all of these food groups. Enjoy them all. And I do. I, I eat from every food group. Um, except that I don't eat fried foods. So, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Can you talk a little bit about the second step? You, you described yourself as insane before program. Yeah. How do you come to believe that anything is I guess it was watching you and the rest of the, you know, uh, seeing, um, seeing how it was working for other people. Because, uh, you know, I thought when I walked into the rooms, oh, this is a cult. They're talking about God. What's the, I, I don't go to church. I don't do that stuff. And... Um, then I began to see, and I also realized that I could, uh, they said, the God of my choice. And uh, I've forgotten the question again. How you came to believe Yes, and that was that, yes. And then I, I realized that when I was calling all the shots, I was getting it wrong. You know, and I was um, making people angry and getting in arguments with my children and my husband and uh, and trying to tell them how they should live their lives. So uh, it's a lot easier to leave it up to the higher power. I find that's true, particularly with this situation I have with my son. I can't tell you what day he's going to die and I can't tell you how long he's going to live, but uh, I, I've turned that over. And I'm just doing my best to make sure that this time in, in, he's uh, having a pleasant, a pleasant existence, and uh, it's, it's easy to love. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Good.